I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Chris, first of all, thanks for coming and talking to us um, this afternoon. You are the author of many, many books about sports, leadership and management. Uh, and it's in that latter category I want to chat to you about in most depth, I think. Um, your, most recent books is, uh, your most recent book is Quiet Leadership, uh, co-written with Carlo Ancelotti. And I suppose it's a sort of treatise on his methods and his secret to success, if you like. Um, how did that come to fruition? How did you end up being the man who wrote that with him? We actually met through his wife, funnily enough. Uh, many years ago, uh, I was the deputy dean in charge of MBA programs at Cass Business School, funnily enough, around the corner from this studio. Yeah. And um, his wife was one of my students. And um, years and years later, we bumped into each other. Uh, and I said to her, Yo, what are you doing in this country? It's nice to see you. So I'm over here with my husband. Oh, who's he? Carlo Ancelotti, really? Right, okay. <laughs> right introduce me. Yeah. And and we became we became friends and at some stage later he decided he wanted to write a book that wasn't just an autobiography, that was much more about his leadership style and much more about the relationship to other leadership organizations, to businesses and so on and so forth, mm. to see whether there were any transferable skills to, to a certain extent so I added that bit to the process you know well let's look at the transferable skills so what we did with the book was interesting to we actually looked at the book and said what are the problems that managers come up against and leaders come up against in, in every walk of life okay Carlo how did you deal with that in, in your walk of life and then saw if those skills appeared to be transferable or not and 
I mean, I suppose we, we, may, we may as well start with Carlo then. Do you think um, he is particularly um, unique in terms of, of management? I mean, clearly he's a, is a pretty sort of calm, considered guy. Um, and in, in the book, which I, which I read and enjoyed, I, I think he, he, he's pretty quick to, 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 to tell you that being calm and being quiet and being reserved isn't a sign of weakness. It's, it's, a, it's a form of management and leadership in its own right. And that's something that he presumably very much subscribes to. Or do you think that's just his natural personality? I think it's a bit of both. I think he's, he definitely is his natural personality when you get to spend time with him. Obviously, when you're writing a book together, you spend a, you spend a lot of time together and you, you, you get to know each other pretty well mm. and it is who he is um, but interestingly also looking at any, at any individual you look at how other people think about them and luckily for the book I was able to interview loads of players who've all played for him and nobody's got a bad word for him so mm. he obviously creates these relationships and that's the basis of his management style to be able to say I have a relationship with all these people I, I give them I empower them in modern parlance mm. I do all these sort of things but basically we like each other and, 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 and I trust them to have the skills and capabilities to do their jobs and I'm not going to interfere too much if everything's going well and I'm going to tweak things slightly but nothing nothing major he is a bit also like you know I know this is stereotypical but he is a bit like most Italian managers he's very detailed on structure and, 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 uh, and defensive defensive formations and so on but less so than than one of his great mentors Arrigo Saki who, mm. who Carlo tells the story that he the um, Saki used to literally move people by about three inches <laughs> so I need you to stand here yeah. this is where I want you yeah. and, and Carlo said when, when he first started coaching them they all thought this is crazy mm. and it's a bit sounds a bit like what went on at Chelsea at the beginning with Conte there in the first six to eight weeks that Conte was there the players weren't that happy they 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 were sort of getting this information they were having to do drills with no opposition and all this sort of stuff which is very Italian tactical Italian mm. of course when the results start coming through people they all get they all get oh hang on this guy yeah. might know what he's talking yeah. about so Carlo's a bit a bit somewhere in between that very rigid Italian we're going to everybody's going to be in this position and a totally laissez-faire approach he, he is very very detailed as well but but more in the minutiae of how individuals play than in, in tactical formations So Carlo is clearly a certain type of manager than a calm considered uh, a chap it, I mean we see lots of different types of, of manager at the top level in, in football and I guess that fascinates me because they appear to have a lot of different modes of, of managing all of which well not all of which but a lot of which seem to work do you think that um someone who's vastly different to Jose um, to, to Carlo Ancelotti i.e. Jose Mourinho or Jurgen Klopp do you think they start from the same spot the same basis or do they come from a completely different philosophy completely different point of view I don't think they come from a different philosophy I think they grow into the managers that they are what they come from is a certain type of personality they are a certain type of person and ultimately you know, one of the key key things about management is is to re, to remain authentic because the players or the workforce or they'll soon find you out. Yeah. If you try and be a Klopp or a Conte when you're really an Ancelotti or a Bob Paisley or whatever, you, you, it's not going to work. And the mm. players get that straight away. The, you know, one one of the interesting things I, I I did an interview many years ago um, with Gordon Strachan when he was Premier League manager, and I said, how long does it how long does it last, the fact that you're a great international player with, in the dressing room as a manager? And he said, till the first team talk. 
Right, okay. He said, because the players are so selfish in the right sort of obsessive, ambitious way, that they will very quickly work out whether you are, are of any use to them. Yeah, okay. Right? Interesting. All right, okay. And if you're not, they don't care who you played for. Yeah. And if you are, they don't care who you played for, you know, yeah. or if you never played. So... When Marino arrives at Chelsea, well, I was going to say let's explore that in the case right. of Marino, who never really right. played to a good. So a good Marino level. arrives at Chelsea. Where's he come from? He's come as a European champion. Yeah, and he walks into the dressing room and said, "I'm a European champion. Yeah. If you want to be European champions, follow, follow me." me. Yeah. and they're like, "Okay, we'll have some of that." But now what, then he has to prove it. Yeah, you know, but he obviously did because they still, you know, people like John Terry retiring, mm. you know, today um, still talks about. Um, Interestingly, both Carlo and Marino as the best managers. But, but he was able to relate to and work with both of them. Correct. As, as successful. I mean, that probably that probably gives credit to John Terry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well. absolutely. But on the Marino thing, you mentioned there as he came into Chelsea as a European champion, and I, and I obviously get that. I get how that works for for the players. But when Mourinho comes in without having done anything, without even being a, you know by by their standards even being able to kick a ball properly, how does he get them on board? early on then how, how does he say look follow me how does he convince them to follow? he must have such a force of charisma and personality that they just want to be a part of it the, the, the stories I've been told are, are exactly that you I've done this if you want to do this none of you have won anything and at that time none of them had mm. none of you have won anything if you want to win something this is the way to do it and I'll show you how to do it and then his method, I think, is to get results very quickly, Why? which is interesting the way he's gone about things at Old Trafford. Mm. I think when you look at Old Trafford, I think he is struggling with the fact that he wants to stay there for a long time, mm. but it's not normally... So he normally, if, if you look at the seasons when they've won anything, they've won it by Christmas. Mm. They just come flying out the blocks and they and then the players will go, well, we're winning. Mm. You know, as, as, as I said, there was some concern among the players at Chelsea in the first couple of months that Conte was there about, you know, they weren't winning. They got beat by Arsenal badly. You know, does this guy know what he's talking about? And then gradually changes it and they get into a winning. You know, win, win, people say, what comes first? You know, mm. win, you know winning or, or, or team spirit. Mm. Trust me, it's women. Yeah. It's winning. Yeah. It's probably women as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Freudian slip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think that's fascinating to me because one of the things that's probably quite regularly overlooked in uh, in, in this in, in in this in the football industry and in, in the football and the football world is that people don't seem to, to to understand, I suppose, in light of what we're talking about here with the art of management, that certain players aren't going to be conducive to working successfully with certain managers. So you'll get a, a, an average fan who'll say, "Why hasn't our club signed this? Signed this player? Signed that player?" And it might well be that the manager and and and, and the management structure has thought, "Well, he's a great player, but he's not going to last five minutes here with me or with this team or with this manager we've got." Um, and, and not much is made of that but that's presumably very important yeah and also it's very important the working relationship between the senior people at the top level as well mm. which is why a lot of managers like to bring staff with them mm. now, you know now I'm not a big proponent of that I mean uh, going back to Carlo I mean I know we've talked a lot about it but going back to Carlo because I know most about how that worked um, when he came to Chelsea um, he was used to bringing uh, a lot of staff with him but Chelsea said no um, we've got a lot of good staff in place and when I spoke to Carlo about, you know, when we were doing the book, I said, why does everybody think that 
somewhere else they go, they're not going to find people they can trust. Because mm. the argument is, well, I know I can trust so-and-so. Well, why would you think that when you go somewhere else, you won't find people? You... Sure. And of course, he finds Paul Clement there, who he really trusts, and takes him everywhere else. Yeah. So he just moves on. So, I mean, that that working relationship at the top is as important as the working relationship with the players. Because if you get the right complementary staff around you, even though... I, as the number one, really don't get on with my captain or centre-half. Yeah. My number two is his best mate, and we can make sure we keep him on board yeah, in, okay. in, in, that, so, in that way. So to that level, I think I'm right in saying that David Moyes didn't keep anyone at Old Trafford when he took over the job. So he probably should have done then, to, to get an understanding of the culture and what it means to have a bit of continuity, what it means to be a manager at Man United, what the yeah, club's like. Obviously, I haven't spoken to, to David Moyes since then. But I, I would imagine he would he would regret the number of people he took from Everton with him, simply because if he would have been really selfish, ultimately selfish, I would have if I'd have been his advisor, I said, right, don't take anybody. Hmm. Manchester United just won this by eleven points. Hmm. Keep that staff in place, so you're a good guy. If you don't win anything this year, you can blame them. Hmm. If you do win everything, you're a genius for keeping them there. But at least you've given yourself a year to settle to in. in yeah. And his response when we were talking at the time about difficulties, um, we had a brief chat when he'd just taken over the job. I was I was somewhere else, just happened to be having a cup of coffee. And and I said, you know, it's a bit dangerous, this. And, and he said, yeah, but I've got a five-year contract. I can really get things sorted out. So he genuinely believed that a five-year contract meant he had that amount of time. Which I I was surprised about, you know, given given the industry. Yeah. Um, but I I think you know those two things together made him make decisions that he might think twice about now. Um, but I think you're right. You know, he did he did virtually replace all of the staff at, yeah. at, at United at that particular time, which was which was difficult. You know, um, they'd been there a long time. And they just won the championship. But yeah. you know, by, okay, everybody says it was a bad year and all that. I don't still care. Got to win it. You won it by eleven yeah. points. Yeah, you still got to win it. On the longevity thing, just to follow up on that, then um, the, the sort of conventional wisdom in the media and, and amongst all, all the people who, who, who like football, I suppose, is that continuity is important. Stick with your manager. Don't don't be so trigger happy. You know, don't fire managers quickly and unnecessarily. But there's nothing really concrete to suggest that that's 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 that works is there i mean that's that's not that's not built on any sort of science or any sort of experience is it no i think if you look at it it's the other way around people stay a long time because they're winning mm. if they don't win because they're staying a long time yeah so you, yeah. i mean yeah because there used to be an old adage which was that if you if you if you had to fire someone after five years they were the wrong person for the job if you had to fire them after five minutes you were the wrong you you did the wrong thing by hiring them exactly. but that doesn't seem to that doesn't seem to exist in football though well i think it should mm. i think you, i think it's a good it's a good it's a good maxim the interestingly a lot of the research tells us that if you if you get a new manager in and I know this, this, everybody hates the numbers and the statistics, mm. and I get that. But there are certain things you can detect from statistics. And one of the things is, if you get if you get a new manager in, and after eight games, he's averaging less than 0. 0.75 points a game, mm. you're probably good to get rid of him quick. Right, OK. Now, there's no point waiting around for no, turn it around. But does that count? This is the thing that people don't get about statistics. Somebody will always come up there and say, well, Fergie only got 0.6 in his first eight games, and look what happened to him. You go, yeah, of course there's an anomaly. There's mm. the odd one who's different. But 
in basically, if people are not quite getting it right in that first eight games, it's probably they're probably not going to get it right statistically. As, as I say, I'm sure um, anybody listening to this will 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 be on the phone immediately. Have their own example. Uh, by the yeah, way, yeah. don't give out my phone number. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, they, yeah. they, they will be on the phone immediately saying, "Well, what about X and what about Y?" Yeah, that's true. But you know, ninety percent of the cases, it's not a bad judge. So going back to your maxim about, yeah. well, if we've got a virus that quickly, we made a mistake and employing him, it goes back to the you know hire slow, fire quick. Mm. But the problem in football is they always hire quick. You know, so you know, um, Zola walks out yesterday. Mm. There's a new guy in place the next day. Mm. You know, well, what's the reason for that? Do you think? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not quite sure. Well, you know, first of all, there's no succession planning. Mm. You know, so um, because because managers bring with them people who are sort of to a certain extent professional number twos you know then then you know are you going to promote that guy into a senior position but so there's no succession planning that you that but that's true in business as well you know mm. all of a sudden somebody walks away and everybody's oh my god what do we do now well mm. actually you knew you knew he's going to walk away statistically he's not going to statistically he manages in football not going to be there a maximum two years mm. you know well then then you know, get ready as soon as you've hired him to start looking for a replacement because he's not going to be there that long, either by your choice or by their choice. Yeah, I suppose managers can can be at the very top level at least. They can be, I suppose, for want of a better word, quite egotistical. And 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 for example, with David Moyes to go back to the Manchester United example, clearly it probably well clearly it would have been beneficial to everyone for Moyes to go in maybe for the last year of Ferguson's tenure and sit under him for a, for a year but David Moyes is an established manager in his own right and he's he's managed at a big club Everton he was there for 10 years beforehand he's not realistically going to do that is he so it's not it's not easy for them to be, to do that i i know there are examples of it happening no like but you could no but like you could have done the you could have done the the succession planning by not having him sat next to Ferguson, mm. but by saying to him that we think you're the guy, mm. and all the conversations about number of people that were going to be coming across could have happened in that year. Yeah, and you could have then said, as the CEO, if I'd have been the CEO at Manchester United, mm. I'd have said it's not happening. Mm. Uh, either you come and use this team. Mm. Or don't come because you don't want the now, job. Anyway, is he going to not come? No, no yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, so yeah. which was a bit like Carlo at Chelsea. He, he, he wanted the Chelsea job. He wanted to try for the Premier League. He thought that was a really good opportunity. Mm. So he was prepared to to compromise to a certain extent mm. and found actually it was a really good model. I mean, yeah. he says he says in the book, you know, it's, it's it's a really good model to be able to come into an established, settled background. So we talk about Chelsea being sort of chaotic. Mm. But actually, if everybody underneath that, that one guy stays the same, actually it's maybe not as chaotic as we think it is. Mm. And I suppose that, that, that brings me on quite nicely to the continuity point and, and the sort of making preparation for what's going to happen after the manager moves on. It brings me on quite nicely to to a question I wanted to put to you about players becoming managers. And, and I, think, I think I'm right in saying in one of your books you talk about how there's nothing to suggest that just because you're a player, you're going to become a good manager automatically. Now, clearly that's the case. I mean, there are good players who've become terrible managers. There are good players who've become good managers. Um, and there are, no, there are players who've never played. Yeah. Who, I mean, you know, Wenger... Marino yeah. never played at any yeah. sort of level, but they, you know, but they become great managers. So, and, as you say, there's there's virtually no, well, there's no cause and effect. No, uh, there might be some correlation, but it's very very little. But do you think players fully appreciate and understand how different the skill set is to be a manager? No, no. 
I do think they're interested. Uh, the, presumably, the best ones are are um, willing to learn and accept that it's a new it's a new discipline entirely. Yeah. Well, I I um, teach a, a module on the uh, on the UEFA Pro License course, mm. so we get all the managers who want to move up or mm. aspire into that in there. And what I've noticed over, and I've been doing that for about eight years now, and the difference between eight years ago when they were like, well, what do we need to know all this stuff yeah. about to now um, when they are very uh, conscientious, you know, they do lots of good work. They do, I mean, some of the projects that, uh, you know, that they do for the course are really good quality. You know, you know, I work in universities and, and I see the quality what students turn out and a lot of these guys are turning out equivalent sort of stuff like that. And there are courses starting to run which are more about management in terms of sports directors and um, performance directors and all this sort of stuff. I mean, sports sports are big business now. Mm. So the training and development of people is going to get better and better. And the difference that I've noticed in that seven or eight years is they're much more conscientious about and much more willing to learn about the whole business mm. as opposed to just what goes on the on the pitch. Because that gives them a better understanding of what pressures they're going to be under correct. and why, basically. Absolutely okay. correct. I think a lot of fans um, will, uh, possibly myself included actually, will understand that the pro licence exists and people are, are required to do it to manage at the top level. I don't know if a huge amount of um, of people will know exactly what it entails and why it's so important for them, for, for potential managers to do it. I mean, what what's the reason that, that it's in place, would you say? Just because it, because it gives everyone a basis, everyone's a, everyone a platform to work from yeah it gives them i i think what it gives them is a is a great opportunity to survive hmm. and if you talk to um, you know people like richard Beman at the lma hmm. he says you know the, the most important thing is surviving for hmm. the first year if you survive for the first year you're doing yeah. well and so this is giving them a tool a toolkit to survive for that first year um it is it, very difficult though because you get huge um, huge differences in the type of ownership and one of the things that we do on the course is to talk to them about the the value and seriousness of, of managing upwards and trying to try, trying to manage the expectations of of that 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 guy who's actually running your life mm. you know you, yeah. who can snap his fingers and 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 you're out of work the next day um, and so we you know we i wouldn't say we teach techniques but we we get them to understand what the issues are and then as individuals they're going to have to deal with those in their own particular ways but some of them are, not, are unaware of the difficulties i mean a very a very simple example is that um people people looking to get to go for a job will say to me well how much should i ask the wage bill for, yeah for example yeah What's a good wage bill? And I say, well, if it's a first or second division club, there's a wage protocol and you can only have 55 or 60% of the revenue. So what's the revenue of that club? And they go, I don't know. Mm. And you say, well, find out. Yeah. And then you can only have 55% of that and then work out whether you can get promoted. And if you think having 55% of that makes you the third lowest wages in that division – don't promise to get them no. <laughs> to get them promoted because yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, and they're like, right, okay. Now, I think one of the misconceptions about footballers is, and and as a ex footballer myself, is that they're they're unintelligent. Footballers yeah. are not unintelligent. They're often uneducated. Yeah, it's not the it's same, not same thing. thing. No, yeah, yeah, but they're smart, you know. Yeah. And so. We one of the things we do on the course is just try and open up and say, look, these are, these are the issues you're going to confront. You're pretty smart guys. You know what you're doing. 
be ready mm. and and that's really what the course is mostly about being ready and obviously that includes all the football side as well yeah, all the course. tactical side yeah. all the analytics and all that sort of stuff I just do the small business business bit of it yeah. which is quite a small part of the course because there'll be there'll be some um, managers and ex-players now of a certain generation who will you know who 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 will be reluctant to do that. They'll not want to sit in a classroom. They'll not want to learn. And then they'll bemoan the fact that they don't get job opportunities the next week. You know. So I'm thinking of someone like Tim Sherwood, for example, who who clearly doesn't want to go out there and, and expand his horizons and learn. But clearly, it's very important. I mean, you could easily say, "Oh, you know, Bill Shanky never did that." Well, fine, but we're not in the '60s and the '70s now. Yeah. You know, we're we're in a completely different environment, and there are a lot of skills that you need to to actually really achieve. And like you say, survive the first couple of years and then move on and build on that. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. With the, um, the the nature of how managers have to work now, so they have to they have a group of. I mean, we talked earlier before we came on the show. You were saying that ideally, as a manager or a, or a CEO, or whatever, you want between eight and ten direct reports to, to to successfully manage a business or whatever it may be. I was thinking that in the context of football, they're going to have a few coaches, a few physios, they're going to have a big team, and then they're going to have twenty five direct players in a squad at the top level. I mean. You, you also called, if I may steal your line earlier, you called Carlo Ancelotti the diva whisperer for being able to talk to these players and deal with them in a certain way, these hugely talented, uh, egocentric in some cases players. I mean, is it fair to say that the biggest skill you need is to keep that group of 25 players happy at all times? I don't think the big, uh, not to keep them happy. Mm. Uh, I think there's a there's a problem there often because that often means that you're 
perceived as not being demanding. In fact, one of the things that Carlo offers is he gets the sack for um, being perceived as being too friendly with the players and too easy going with the players. But that's what he got hired for in the first place. So it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. But it's, it's, about, it, it's about having the respect of the, those players. And... and Obviously, it's easier to get that respect if you're a Carlo Ancelotti and you're yeah. and you're a Champions League winner as a player and as a coach and as an international player and, and all of those great things. Um, the players will listen to you, but my my experience is that players will will give you an opportunity. They'll obviously banter a little bit if you've never played, mm. but they'll give you an opportunity and they'll listen. And if they think you're you're saying something worth listening to, they'll they'll they'll. They'll take it in and they'll mm. try because they most players just want to get better mm. and they you know either as a personal thing or for the rewards or whatever but they they want to improve and they want to get better so they're going to listen to somebody who they think can add that value now in the first instance going back to what you were saying about earlier on about players about there being no correlation between a good player and a good manager is that the the players will say very quickly. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, mm. you know. And when they talk about losing the dressing room, it doesn't mean they don't like the guy. It doesn't mean they don't respect. They don't think he was a great player. They just don't think he can add any value to them. Yeah, and okay. As as elite sportsmen, they're very selfish. I mean, and I mean that in a in, in terms of ambition, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and and obsession. You know, in order to you know, if you're going to practice anything, you know, you're going to be an international Olympic swimmer. Getting up at five o'clock in the morning and having your head underwater for four hours, you've got to be pretty obsessive. Yeah. And so football's just no different. And so if you're that obsessive, you're going to very quickly dismiss somebody you don't think can add any value, no matter who they are, yeah. you know, no matter how great a player they were. Yeah, because I, I can understand, for example, you've got a squad, a group of individuals, and, and perhaps some of them are young and still learning their trade, and some of them, in the, a great example of this would be a, a sort of sub-keeper, a second-choice keeper. They're usually young or they're beyond their best they, they know their role they've seen it all done it all they'll sit on the bench and they'll, and they'll play when they need to play but there will be a group of players in that squad who aren't playing and I think for me looking outside in it seems like the hardest job would be to explain to them um, they have got a role and, and to make them feel a part of it and they, they can make a contribution because you don't know when the, when the player planning your position is going to get injured next week and Alex Ferguson in, in that class of 92 film Alex Ferguson apparently had a huge amount of you know convoluted and creative ways of telling players they weren't playing oh no you're my man for November in, in August you know that type of thing um, is, is, there a, is there a defined sort of accepted way of being able to do that or does it just depend on the personality and just, just do what works for you really I think there isn't a technique but there's there's a there's a way of doing it and the more honest and transparent you are the better yeah um what players do value is, and, and players we're using the term players now to mean any staff in any yeah. is is um equity you know everybody being treated equal mm -hmm. and being treated fairly and if that's true they'll accept different ranks they'll accept different wage structures they'll accept all of that but if somebody's late and gets fined, and then the next day the star is late and doesn't get fined. That doesn't fair, go. Yeah. That doesn't go down well. Yeah. And so um, that Ferguson was really great at doing that. You know that time when he sat, when they went away to Leeds, and he sat Beckham in the stand and made him go to the game. Yeah. 
and you know because some transgression or another yeah. um and luckily for Ferguson they won, won. yeah okay. you know uh, every, yeah, <laughs> yeah every everything just sort of dropped into place but that said to everybody look we know he's a star we know he's getting paid more than everybody else but actually as far as this team's concerned he's he's one of he's one of us and he does whatever we all do now I don't even know what the transgression was but mm. clearly some you know he'd upset Fergie in some way or another but um that that just treating everybody equally and fairly and if somebody comes and asks you a straight question giving a straight answer and saying yeah the reason and we were talking earlier on you were talking about Jamie Carragher saying that he didn't think he were, he thought that John Terry and um, Rio Ferdinand yeah. were better than him yeah. and so if the manager said well the reason you're not playing Jamie is because we think they're better than you yeah. he's going to go fair enough isn't yeah. he but if you make a load of stories that well we're doing this we're doing he knows he knows you're bullshitting you know <laughs> he's going to he's He's saying, Look, I know I'm not better than him, but I'm waiting, you know. So Jamie Carragher would have been like, Oh, hang on, he's injured. Yeah. Well, that might, might, true. might, might get a game here. It's, it's <laughs> true you say it because he also said to me when I spoke to him, he also said, Well, hang on, the reason my, my England career sort of unraveled is because. I was playing centre back for the team that won the European the Champions League, and I was still being farmed out to full back for England. So what what was going on? It was it wasn't it wasn't a fair yeah. and, and, and transparent process. And I think you're absolutely right. And, and just to follow up on on that stuff, I mean, we talk about well, he uh, could have played three at the back, couldn't they? Well, he could have done. Yeah. He probably should have done. So everyone's doing it now. But um, just talking about the uh, the, the, tran- the transferable stuff between everyday management in businesses and, and whatever the size and and um, and, and in football. The interesting thing about that, though, is and, and the difference is that if you've got a, a workplace for the people and they, and they do roughly different, similar jobs, you know, they're not. It's not going to be a huge um, difference in pay, relatively speaking. I mean, people don't really talk about pay that much in in, in businesses, uh, and even if they do, they're not going to be vastly different depending on experience. Of course, you bring that over to football, you've got wildly, probably inaccurate reports on on wages a lot of the time. Some players getting paid huge amounts, some players not so much. Then that becomes very, very difficult, doesn't it? Because we talk about treating everybody fairly, and and, and clearly there's, there's there's privilege and all that sort of stuff. Um, how difficult is that then when you've got players on widely different salaries and different bonus structures and stuff? I think it is really difficult, but it's a difficulty that's brought on by by the the business themselves. Is that uh, so? I'm told anyway that when Roy Keane was given a big wage rise that broke the the Manchester United wage structure at the time. Mm. None of the players complained. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's worth, he's it, worth yeah. it. Yeah. And what well, the problem is, is if you've got somebody who's not really pulling their weight, so this goes back to this equity thing, if you've got somebody who's not pulling their weight and they get more money, then everybody's going, hang on a minute. I can remember when I was playing at a much lower level, um, you know, I, I, I was a non-league player at Conference. I can remember playing for a whole season but it was my first season as a young player and I was getting paid a lot less than everybody else. And I went to one of the older players and said, look, I'm going to go in and see the manager because I'm getting paid a lot less than everybody else. He said, look, we've got 10 games to go and we're going to win this league. Mm. And during the summer, you're now going to be a championship winner. Mm. That's when you're going to ask for more yeah. money. I'm okay. like, okay, fine. You yeah. know, so, yeah. so there, there is there is all that. because, But I, I was thinking, well, I'm I'm doing at least one eleventh of the work here. Yeah, career, okay. And I'm getting paid a lot, lot less money. But that was the deal I signed. Yeah. And so I think there's a, there's a relationship there where um, where player if players are perceived not to be pulling their weight or to be in some way disruptive to the organisation, and they're getting big money, mm. you know, it's, it news. is poison. That's poison. So, in the context of let's talk about briefly someone that's on, something that's on most people's lips at the moment in football with um, Arsenal. Clearly, we've got a situation where 
Um, Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez are reportedly asking for, for big money. I mean, huge amounts of money if the reports are to be believed. Clearly, then, you must you must think that there's a cut-off point now where you say, no, that's that's enough, off you go. Yeah, I do. Um, I d- I'm not... We're talking about football now, so we're talking about opinions. Um, I don't think that if I were if I were at Arsenal, I don't think I would I would give in over Özil. Mm. I'm not sure about Sanchez because mm. he, you know, he's got a lot of goals and he's very well respected by everybody. I I don't know whether he's difficult in the dressing room or all these other factors mm. that are going to come into the club's decision, but. I do agree with you that there is a cut-off point, and for me, um, the cut-off point, the cut-off point is is very simple: is that if I give this guy, let's imagine we're talking about, I don't know, ten million a year, he's going to go up to twenty million a year. My calculation is: could I get two ten million players to do more for this club yeah. than that one twenty million player? And if the answer is yes, then he's gone. Okay. And and I know you know, you have to make that decision, and that's that's for Wenger and his team and yeah. and um, and and people around the club to make that decision. But ultimately, and I think ultimately, uh, from a business point of view, that should be the CEO. Okay, but is there a, is, are there players, perhaps even playing today, where no matter what they ask for, you have to give it to them because they're that special? Yes. Okay, Lionel Messi. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, presumably those. Ma- maybe we're talking that level. Aren't yeah, we? yeah. Maybe yeah, interesting point though. I, mean, I think if you'd have asked me two years ago, I would have said I would give anything, anything hmm. to have Ronaldo. Yeah, anything. Thirty-one now. I think he's thirty-two actually. Is he thirty-two yeah, I think now? So, yeah. Is he yeah. thirty-two now? But I mean, he's looked after him. So he's in oh, fantastic yeah. condition. I mean, when when I was with Carlo, we were at Real Madrid and uh, we were in training, and he said that they would get back at two o'clock in the morning from away games, and Ronaldo would go into the training centre. <laughs> For his for ice baths and everything, right? I, I all, the other, all the other players go home, and Ronaldo's like, I'm, I'm in there. I, I've, I've, I've often thought with him, and another good example of this, I think, is someone you mentioned earlier, David Beckham. You see how well respected they are by their teammates and players who've played against them, despite their in quotes diva antics yeah. and, their, and their type of personality. Yeah. They're this very extroverted type of personality, yet they're all universally respected. Same as Ibrahimovic. Yeah, so dedicated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the training. I mean. Carlos said to me that Ibrahimovic, when they were at PSG, was like so was the strongest trainer, the hardest trainer. You know, was absolutely um, uh, demanding of all the other players. You know, why? why you know, why haven't you trained? Why, yeah. you know, I, I noticed you weren't training too hard today. Yeah, you know, what's really? Okay. Oh yeah, you know, with the other players. You know, very. There's this great story in the book, and and I'm sure and, and Ibrahimovic told it to me as well, and Carlos told it to me. So I'm sure it's true, but it's a great story. The uh, a young player who shall remain nameless was about 17, 18, came in, and Ibrahimovic went into the dressing room at the end of the at the end of training session, mm. and walked up to him and said. Today, he said, go home. He said, on the on the calendar, right on the calendar, today I trained with Ibrahimovic because I don't think you're going to be doing it again. Well, really? Okay. <laughs> and this kid's like, shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay, right. <laughs> and lo and behold, trained really hard the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. the next day. But there's, you know, there, there's, this, there's this level of training that because they do it by example, they can demand it of others. Mm. And, uh, 
and apparently he but but Ronaldo's not that same sort of character but, but just by his example mm. the same with Beckham just by their just by their example you mm. know of how hard they train how obsessed they are because leadership isn't just about being loud and screaming no, at people exactly. and showing people outwardly how how much you care it's about yeah. a lot of it to do because I mean obviously David Beckham was England captain yeah. Yeah. and he's not really a shelter yeah. or a, well, probably more yeah quite exactly so there's, there's more there are more there's more than one way to skin a cat as yeah, they yeah, say absolutely. but does management just come down to essentially having a really keenly felt um, uh, intuition for what works for different individuals and, and when to not only knowing that but when to push up on it when to not do that I, I think that's really important I, I think that one of the key one of the key um, skill sets of great managers is to recognize when often by accident they've hit upon the the, the right yeah. the formula yeah and stick and, and not to mess with it yeah. and i think this is what ranieri did okay like, you know yeah. in the less in the great lesson and in a sense got found out afterwards when he had to, had to be interventionist mm. you know so when it all sort of dropped into place what his great skill was to go hang on a minute Hmm. This is working. This, this yeah. is working. Leave, yeah. leave, leave it alone. You know, yeah. very few changes. You know, and the changes were always the same change. You know, because Aki would come off, Demar Gray would yeah. go on. Yeah. You know, they were all very, very samey, and this is working. But a lot of managers wouldn't have the would have too much of an ego. Yeah, yeah. To think yeah. that actually I'm not as important as I think I am here. This is working fine. Just leave yeah, it yeah, it is. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's um, so I think that's really important. But then, then of course, then you get to the second season. Well, what do you do in terms of sign? and all that sort of stuff and that's where you need all the help around you that's where you need a whole load of backroom staff who are saying you know it's interesting that um, I don't know how involved Steve um, Walsh was Mm. you know before he left Leicester and went to Everton Mm. in the recruitment during the transfer window mm. after the championship, right, yeah. I don't know whether he'd already gone by then or whatever, or whether he'd he definitely left at some point during the tenure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, you know, but but it's interesting that the the signings that Steve Walsh oversaw, people like Mares and and yeah. Vardy and that were great signings, and then maybe Slimani and some of the ones who come after was not quite so good. But, but how much of that is luck and how much of that is judgment when it comes to sort of? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot of research that goes into it yeah. nowadays. There's a lot of analytics go into it, but ultimately. I think so coming back to where we started more or less um, culturally you have to be certain so all the numbers can say this guy is great yeah. and then you say yeah but apparently he's a bit of a drinker or yeah, apparently okay. he's got to fit into the culture so, yeah exactly so okay. so and, and, and it's difficult you know uh, we, we, we can see how few English players go abroad and do well mm. you know so we just assume all these foreign players are going to come here and go oh that's fine we can yeah. be it's yeah, not but, as easy but the English it. players yeah. don't do not do that well no. language is obviously a, a, a key thing that's one of the things that Carlo really works hard to learn the language you know I, I was with him when, when when he was being courted by Bayern right. and uh, and he was already learning, Ger- was learning German yeah that's, that, show, that, that's, that actually tells it tells its own story doesn't it yeah. I, you know not to make this too current because people are going to listen to this in, 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 a, in a wee while but something that I found fascinating and we talked about it a lot on the, on the main show we do twice a week the football, on the Football Ramble is that this Mourinho Luke Shaw thing where Jose Mourinho very publicly called out Luke Shaw. He not only sort of said to him that said that he's not got the dedication, he doesn't train as well. He also followed it up by saying, "Oh, the only reason he played well in that particular half is because there. I was there." Yeah, and and a couple of the boys on the show were saying, "Yeah, this is this is absolutely unacceptable. This is outrageous." Um, and I wondered whether we we did mention it on the show, but it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it. Whether he th- Mourinho needs to benefit the doubt there because he's he's clearly a good manager. He clearly, he's achieved a lot in the game. He knows a lot about. He's forgotten more than we'll ever know about it. 
is he not just thought that's exactly what that player needs he needs to be called out like that because he needs a kick up the backside to show exactly who's boss and what he needs to do that, that could well be the case couldn't it oh, I'm saying it's exactly the case that doesn't make him right no it but means, fine yeah. but, but I think you're you're right what you've said is right I didn't hear your show but what you've said is right that he's doing that for a very specific reason and he believes it's going to work mm. now um it's not something that people normally do, mm. but on the other hand, um, he is often he is often asked um, a straight question. Yeah, you know, how do you think Shaw played today? Yeah, now, what's he supposed to say? You, everybody sat there and watched. You know, I I think what's really interesting as well. Actually, forget about that. Forget about Shaw. But the other side of the coin is that he's constantly praising Pogba. Yeah. And he must be watching different games to me. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, but he's constantly praising him because he he clearly believes that this is a guy that can make the difference next season. Yeah, right. So he's got to keep him on board. He's got to get him. He's got to cajole him. Got to take his time with him. He doesn't think sure. He thinks Shaw can do that, but he thinks Shaw needs a different type of uh, approach. And so he's using that type of approach. Now the difference between. Going back to the diva whisperer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the difference is I don't think Harlow would do that with Shaw. Yeah. But I still think if we looked at the number of games Shaw's played under Marino and the number of games he would have played under Carlo, it'd be exactly the same. Right, they'd, okay. just, just be, they'd just be dealing with the personality differently, but Shaw hasn't been up to it since his injury. I yeah. mean, I used to watch him a lot at Southampton. I, yeah. I know you're from South Coast, and, yeah. and I used to watch him a lot at Southampton, and he was unbelievable. Yeah, okay. And he's definitely stagnated through the injury, and maybe next season, next season maybe his season. But because, do, do, does Marino not run the risk there of not I mean if, if Luke Shaw's that personality that's fine but does he not run the risk of other players who are perhaps a bit more sensitive and a little more in tune to, to criticism in that way thinking well hang on a minute if I, if I fall off the boiler that could be me and I don't fancy that very much I mean it's quite a high risk strategy isn't it I think I think so, but it's um, but it, but it's his strategy. That sort of um, constant volatility is is his is his his thing. Yeah, he, he's his culture. Didn't Zlatan say everything's a mind game with Jose? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. There's always an ulterior motive to whatever yeah, exactly. he says. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever, he say, whatever he's saying, don't believe it. He's saying something else. Yeah. Okay. And, right. you know, but Zlatan, like, but I'm Zlatan. What do I yeah. do? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, I just it, it's. To go back to, to, to what you said earlier about the maxim about firing managers and stuff, another maxim surely would be don't don't criticise or discipline or call out any of your employees in public in front of other people. But yet in football that happens all the time. Uh, but I think it goes back to one of the points you made as well, is that there is such media focus and such media sort of uh, um, awareness of everything that's going on that to a certain extent you're not necessarily calling somebody out. If somebody says to you, what did you think of X's performance today? Mm. You know, my answer would obviously be, well, I subbed him after 15 minutes. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, okay, you know, so, yeah, yeah. yeah or, or whatever. And, and he's done that, by the way, hasn't he, Marino? Yeah, you know, well. don't think the players care about that? I, I, I think the players, the, the players don't like it. Mm. They, they don't like it, but they understand, they understand it. You mm. know, it goes back to, I, I think it's really interesting, the story you told about Jamie Carragher about saying, you know, well, I, I knew I was third best but mm. actually I knew they were better than me mm. um, players know and players mm. know when they've had a bad game they mm. know when they've and that's why every now and again they'll blow up because they think it's uh, again going back to my own career I, I used to obviously it wasn't a great career but one of the things I prided myself on was being you know um, being brave mm. And I can remember once, uh, and I was well, quite well behaved. As, I was quite well behaved as a player for the manager. I wasn't high maintenance. But one of the interesting things was 
one day I tried to flip a ball over a defender, try and nick it over him, and it looked as if I pulled out of the tackle. Right, okay. And the manager caught, shouted something from the touchline. Yeah. Shouted that to me, something the touchline about pulling out. Mm. And I knew I hadn't pulled out, and I prided myself on that. I'd just stopped playing right. and walked over to him and had it out with him right. there and then, because it was like... Tell, me, tell me I'm yeah. rubbish. Tell me yeah. I'm rubbish. Yeah. Tell me I've got a touch like a camel. Yeah. Do not tell yeah. me I'm a coward. Yeah. That's <laughs> your red line. That's my actually. thing. That was my yeah. thing. Yeah. And so that's why every now and again you'll see a player blow up because the manager has misinterpreted something they've done. Or uh, yeah, but if they've had a rubbish game and they get pulled off, they, they just come off quiet. And it's, a, it's apparent. It's clearly a, a manager's responsibility to know what those red lines yeah. are. Of his exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, exactly. Right. Um, so. Look into the future then. I mean, you've seen a lot, a lot of changes working in doing what you do uh, in sports management and all that type of stuff. I mean, what do you think a, a successful manager of the future is going to need? Are they going to, are they going to need to be even more media savvy, even more acutely aware of all these different things that occur? Because you've said in, in, in one of the books um, I read that it's now impossible for one man to manage a football club. I mean, we go back to the days, and I know, I know. again, we talked about this earlier, about Sir Alex Ferguson. You said, well, yeah, David Gill, and David Gill did a lot of good stuff, and, and that he was partly responsible for the success. But clearly, the way football's going, it's going to be even more difficult for one man to manage a job, so manage a club. So clearly, managers need to, especially British managers, need to not be as concerned about directors of football and chief of scouts and all that sort of stuff, because it's impossible for them to do that job yeah. now. I think what we've done is, interestingly, I think it's really interesting to use the term Terms, you know, t- director of football. So I think we've boxed ourselves into a corner with with the terminology. Hmm. Actually, if we had a terminology like in US sports of general manager, yeah, that's where we're going. Okay. in my view, so we're going to have a head coach who does what we now perceive to be a manager's job, hmm. and then between him and the board, there's going to be a general manager. And the idea that, say, for the, all the analytics, for example, will only go to the manager hmm. is wrong. The okay. man- it will go to the head coach. And the general manager. Mm. And the general manager will be saying, well, I see these statistics are saying so-and-so. What are we doing about that? How are we responding to that? So there's an accountability. When you get one guy in charge of everything, he's not accountable to anybody. But, of course, he's vulnerable as well because he's supposed to be doing everything. So you can sack him easily. Mm. And so um, one of the things I say to the guys when I'm talking to them on the pro license course is you don't ask to be in charge of everything. Because if you do, you're making yourself be one of the top three. Yeah, be one of the top three. So if it goes wrong... It's our fault. Yeah, okay. it's not. It's not. It's not my fault. Yeah, and uh, and they find it really difficult. They're yeah. like, they're like, no. Nah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Is that because they're ego? They they want they want to be. I, I think it's more to do. It's all. more to do with tradition. Mm. They, they think that's what they're supposed to want. They think it's somehow, it's somehow um, less macho, if you like, if they they're passing that responsibility off. Mm. But but um, ultimately, you need to come back and say, you know, what's best for the team. Hmm. Yeah, because whether you like it or not, you look at a you look at a football club as a business. The core business is what goes on on the pitch. Because hmm. if you're winning, you're selling more shirts, you're selling more tickets, you're selling more sponsorship, you're selling more TV. So it's actually the business of what goes on on the pitch is is vital to the club. And so that guy in charge, the head coach, is a very important role, and you shouldn't diminish that. But it's about it's almost I suppose if I were trying to do to draw an analogy, it would be the COO. You know, he's the chief operations officer because that's the operations of the go. Then you've got the commercial stuff all going. Yeah. You don't want him getting involved in that. You know, you want him concentrating on on that. And so what you need to be able to do, and what, what a lot of the managers 
in the continent do, and it's unusual in this country. They're always surprised continental managers. That they get, you know, when Klopp came to Liverpool, for example, and they asked him about the the committee for recruitment, he went, "Yeah, why not?" Yeah, that's what we always do. Used to, yeah, that's what we okay. always do. You know, yeah. as if I, as if I'm going to make those decisions. As if I'm going to make an eighty million pound decision on my own. Mm. So you need that, and once you accept that, that it's not demeaning you in any way, or mm. it's not emasculating you mm. in any way, you're still the guy. Mm. Um, then I think it'll, it'll it'll come on, and this general manager role will gradually emerge because it does away with the. It doesn't have football in the title. Yeah, okay. You know, so sporting director, football director, director of football, you know, well, hang on, I thought I was the football guy. Yeah, you are the football guy, mm. but you need to be accountable to somebody and you don't want to be accountable to the board. And I'm, obviously I'm talking at top level now. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. obviously if you're, if you're going back to long-serving managers, yeah. if you're Paul Tisdale yeah. at Exeter, you do everything. You, you do do everything. Yeah, yeah. You, you do do everything. Which means if, if he does then make the jump, jump up to a higher level, he might find it difficult to adjust. He's going to be very conscious that it's going to be a different role. Absolutely. I think Paul, Paul will. I mean, I, I know Paul reasonably well. And, I know that he's been offered lots and lots of jobs that he's never quite taken. Probably, and I don't know this, so um, if he ever listened to this, I'm sure he can phone me and tell me, but probably because he couldn't have the level of control that he would wanted. Actually, an interesting story, um, when I was doing the Carla book, I I interviewed Carl... um, Roberto Martinez. Mm. And what was interesting, I said, have you ever thought of going back to Spain, you know, coaching? He was still at Everton at the time. And he said, uh, no, he said, I wouldn't want to go. I like it in England because England's the only place you can be the manager and do everything. Mm. That's what I want to so do. So it suits him. Basically. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And I said, well, you, and this is true. I said, you know, it's going to get you the sack sooner, yeah. sooner rather than later. And he said, I know, but that's what I want to do. But that FA Cup wins his. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He that's no, all his. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly right. So, Again, goes back to culture, forces for courses. If you're comfortable with the, with taking responsibility and, and accepting the fact that you've you've been fired, and yeah. you, you can reconcile yourself yeah. with that. Yeah. Presumably, you could endure that FA Cup yeah. one as all yours yeah, exactly. as well. Well, he's manager of Belgium now. He seems yeah. well happy. Last yeah, time exactly. I saw yeah, I bet he is. Yeah. <laughs> so, just fine to finish up then. Um, what does the successful manager of the future at the top level of football look like? What have they got to be good at that perhaps they weren't necessarily needing to be good at in the past? They are, notwithstanding what we've just said about Roberto, yeah. I think they need to be good at recognizing the function that they play. I think when you look at when you look at all organisations, I tend to be a bit of a functionalist, mm. and I look at organisations and say, what functions need to be performed in order for this organisation to work properly? And in football, there's three functions: there's leadership, there's um, management, and there's coaching, and the leadership might be the chairman, the management might be the general manager, and the coaching might be the head coach. Now, if those three are all working well, then that guy needs to understand what his function is as a head coach or as an assistant coach or as a goalkeeping coach. Or what, what precisely is your function? And the biggest difference, I think, of the manager of the future is understanding where he fits into the pattern. At the moment, they think, I've just got to keep the chairman happy. Yeah, okay. You know, they, they don't understand the whole business. And and again, I think that's true even down the second division, even in the conference, uh, sorry, the National League now, that you you have big structures now. Now, they're only small businesses. You know, we're talking about two, three million pound businesses at lower levels. But 
if you can understand that structure so that, you know, when the Cowley brothers of Lincoln suddenly got offered, I don't know, Knott's Forest tomorrow or mm. something, they need to know what the structure is going to be and they need to be able to accept their role in that structure. And I think that's a big jump for a lot of people who grown up with the gaffer mm. or the boss mm. and, you know, and the old idea of, you know, I don't even remember, I think it was Brian Clough or... You know the the the, um, the big book of directors' knowledge. Yeah, blank. Open up and it's blank. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. that that's gone. That, they, yeah. they, 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 by the way, they might be right. Yeah, <laughs> but they're the guys who are employing you. Yeah, Professor Chris Brady, thank you very much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. This was a Radio Staccato production. 